Hello, and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm your host, Travis. Oscar Mike Radio is about military stories, history, people supporting us, veterans and non-veterans alike. Welcome. Today, I have a special guest. I'm always happy to talk with civilians who have either, you know, tell a story or acted proactively to help us veterans out. And this is a special one. I want to introduce you to Susan Hunter, author. Susan, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Why, thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. We kind of met through a roundabout way through Mr. Soros, who introduced you to me, and now we're talking. And you reached out to me about this fascinating story about your mom, your mother, who wrote a, uh, you know, Vietnam veterans letters. And then you wrote about one particular relationship and turned that into a book called 77 Letters. Kind of just tell us how that all got started. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. I'm about, I'm about halfway done, but it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And thank you for your interest in spreading uh, th this beautiful story and all the, um, all the messages within. Uh, it's a really powerful, impactful story for healing, not only just for our veterans, which was my first initiative. I was purely motivated after reading the letters between my mom and Bob Johnson in particular. Um, I was motivated to put something out because there's a huge redemptive quality to it. And I think it portrays a Vietnam veteran in a more accurate way than they tend to be portrayed uh, in Hollywood. So I thought, you know, totally motivated by the healing potential for our Vietnam veterans, but then as spring melded into summer and we had all this civil unrest in the country and just the hurting in this country was just surfacing at a level that I had never um, recognized. And I, it, it literally pained me. Um, I kind of went into sixth gear and got this book out quickly and then published this past fall. But it started back in the Vietnam War. My mother was trying to show her support for the soldiers, um, not a yay or nay for the war, just you know, just her support to the GIs. And she started this writing campaign where she was responsible for thousands of letters and packages going over there because she rallied a high school and elementary school, Cub Scouts and all that to get involved and write letters and send packages. Um, but she personally wrote to 40 soldiers. And I happened upon these letters and, um, and I kept them for 17 years. I kept them in safekeeping. And then when I was caring for my mom and she's suffering from dementia, I thought, oh, maybe this would be something that could tap into or engage her long-term memory. Um, so I pulled them out and we started going through them together. And that's when I realized, you know, each one was as riveting as the last. And um, we started going through them. And then with her, with her dementia, there were times where I would have her hold a letter and we'd read it together and a portal would open up and she'd have this, you know, beautiful recall. And so after reading all the letters and there were 77 letters just from Bob and my mom had the wherewithal to attach her carbon copy responses to the letter. So I have a dialogue in many cases, right? which is incredible because not many people are that organized to do that. And she had four little children running around at the time. So God bless her. Um, but after we start, we read through them all, I said, mom, we need to see if he's still with us and um, peruse the internet, made some connections um, within the military and I found him. And that's when the real, the additional beauty of the story uh, starts to blossom. And then the redemptive quality with uh, involving his daughter. 
I don't know how much you want me to go into with that, but I'll be happy to share whatever you want. Sure. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I think the first thing that stands out to me is your mom was this bright, vibrant person. And, and you mentioned the fact that in a way she's slipping away from you. And, and, and you know, for me reading it, I'm just telling you how I interpreted it is it's almost you, you want your mom. We all want our mom. You know, when you say mom, you want mom right there. And, and this start as a way to put your arms around the memory of your mother, how she was to you and draw that out of her. And one of the things that really, you know, just really got my, my interest meter, you know, I'm going to really lock onto this was when you're going through that box of letters, the one that survived not the one that was destroyed and your mom started connecting with things in the past so i'm kind of curious uh susan what was that like really when you you put that story in front of your mother and you're sitting there in your home and she is your mom for that moment in time what was that like yeah it was uh it gave me hope um and i don't know if you've had any experience with dementia but it's it's a degenerative disease. So uh, there's not a lot of hope there. Um, but some aspects do give you a little bit of hope, like music, they can connect with music of old time and, and whatnot, and remember all the lyrics. Well, these letters um, were so revealing to my about my mom, because she would then talk back to what it was like at that time, like she remembered when this letter came in, and, you know, the neighbor across the street, wasn't too happy with the fact that she was writing to a black man. Um, and so then she would kind of go into a little conflict that she had with this particular woman. And so it, it then allowed me to say, wow, mom, because my mother was perfectly content living in the shadow of my dad, who was this larger than life, amazing man. And as a result, I never realized how strong my mom was and, until reading these letters and then hearing these stories. And good for you, mom, for standing up for what you believe in, standing up for what, what God wants us to do, how he wants us to act, even in the face of, I call her Mrs. Nebnose, um, Mrs. Nebnose's uh, objection to her writing to Bob. So it, it allowed me to really have a newfound respect for my mom and, and then just realize, you know, how far we have come as a nation. I know we still have ways to go, but we have come a long way since back in the 1966 when she started this writing campaign. And that was one of the things that I, I was hoping we'd get out to the nation that yes, we're not perfect yet. And quite frankly, we never will be perfect because we're made of 320 million imperfect human beings. Um, but we are striving to that, to that goal and we've come a long way since 1966. So, um, I, I kind of wanted that message to get out because, because we have, we've come a long way. One of the things that, that struck me was Bob's way of articulating what it was like being a black man during that time to a nation that really didn't welcome him at all, but he felt it important enough to be a part of this, to be part of something larger than himself and to be there with his brother's white, black, Latino whatever they were and the fact that he hoped that America would become a better place. And the fact that when he went to Vietnam and other places in the world, he saw that, you know what, America is a pretty special place. Mm -hmm. 
And that dialogue is very clearly communicated to your mom and by extension, your father, because one of the things that also kind of, you know, came up to me, uh, Susan was the relationship that your father had with Bob by virtue of him serving as a, as a Lieutenant, even for a short time, it was still a bond those two men had over the letters that your mom facilitated. You know, a lot of people would have been very, um, hesitant at best to allow this to continue. Why do you think your father was so um, supportive of this? Uh, well, a couple things, and, and thank you for mentioning that because that is an aspect of the story that I think is super beautiful um, and worth highlighting is my dad for one, and, and my, my mom and dad had a beautiful relationship, very secure in each other. They worked hard on the marriage um, and they just supported each other. And um, so the fact that my dad supported her on this whole writing campaign where she's now writing to all these men and, you know, perhaps lonely men, that would probably be very threatening to some, some husbands. And I was very um, impressed that it wasn't to my dad. He actually supported it. Now, granted, my mother wrote about my dad in pretty much every letter because she was super proud and she adored her, her husband. Um, and she made it clear from the get-go that this is not a, a lonely GI female on uh, in the homeland type scenario. This was, I want to be your pen pal, your friend and all that. So she made it quite clear. And I'm sure that was her effort to assure my dad that this was all genuine. Um, and then my dad trusted her and also was a part of the letter. So he would listen to the letters, you know, every night after the kids were in bed, my mom would go to, go to work and read the letters. And he had particular interest in Bob's because Bob is very insightful, as you see from the letters. And he had an eloquent way of expressing himself. In fact, my mom often said, when you are done with the army, you should either become a minister or a writer. So um, he definitely had a knack for it. But also they had that, the, the two men, like now Bob didn't really have a father figure in his life. His father left the family with seven children uh, early on. So he didn't have a father figure. And although my dad wasn't old enough to be a father figure, it was certainly an older person. And by the fact that he was already married with four children and had a career as a teacher, that kind of just made him a little bit more, I guess, mature, I guess, in, in Bob's mind. So um, perhaps more appropriate as an older brother figure. Yeah. Um, so they had this mutual respect and, and it was beautiful. And then, I don't know if you're at this point in the story, but Bob actually comes to visit us for a weekend. Um, so I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you, but he comes um, for a weekend, which that alone is pretty incredible that here a man is allowing not only just a soldier, but a soldier in a war that's very controversial. Um, and it had those, those soldiers were uh, portrayed in, in sometimes barbaric ways, um, unfairly. And so you have this soldier that they know nothing about other than how eloquent he writes his, in his letters and a black man. So, but he welcomed him into the family with three, uh, four small children. I was only 18 months at the time. And I think that was a big gesture of, of admiration, but also support and just love for humanity. Um, so it, it, it was a big thing that my dad allowed it to, I hate to say allowed it to happen, but in a sense, allowed it to happen and supported it. Most certainly, most certainly, especially when, you know, I'm reading Bob's letters to your mother and I thought about it, the, the only, I've read a lot of military books, 
But to me, uh, there's a book called Chicken Hawk by Robert Mason. Robert Mason was a warrant officer, Huey pilot in Vietnam. And to me, and just, just in my reading in my life, that's the gold standard that I measure all the other books against because it's just so well done. But I really agree with you. Bob's way of describing what it was like going out on patrol when he's pretty much kind of telling you that, hey, when they had to do, when nature called, it was not, you know, stop, let's do it and move on. It was a very nasty, dirty uh, business just being out there. In, in a way that, you know, I have never served in combat uh, myself when I was in the Marine Corps, but I could almost sense what the smells were like of being in the jungle and having those, you know, bugs eat you up and how wrecked your body was. That was, you know, very well articulated in a way that really brought it home that I don't think a lot of other people were probably doing. I don't know. I didn't read any other letters, but I was really drawn in by, you know, Bob being, for lack of a better term, special in that case. Yeah, that was one thing that I got out of his letters too that I had never read before um, or even really seen in documentaries was the elements that they were exposed to and, and the smell. The smell just keeps coming up. I'm working on a documentary right now called Every Time the Wind Blew. And one of the things that we're going to touch upon are the smells that, you know, the, those who served in Vietnam go right back to and they talk about it, that you just can't get it out of your head. But anyway, to get back to Bob, um, yeah, he brought light to the fact that, you know, the, the insects, the poisonous snakes, the, the tigers in the jungle, that was something I hadn't heard of. The tigers in the jungle actually, as they do, I mean, they eat and they attack. And if you're out in the jungle overnight, you're on reconnaissance and you're out there for many nights, you're, you're fair game. And that was something I hadn't even realized. And he had sent an article to my mom about tigers eating soldiers and saying, you know, this is what we also have to contend with. So um, the elements were crazy and he had a, a wonderful way to kind of put it all in perspective. And he somehow, I don't know how, I mean, he is so blessed. He found peace at night in Vietnam. He often talks to my mom about, you know, so many of the soldiers, you know, call it uh, or refer to nighttime as, you know, death. And, but he's like, I find peace because I'm out there. You can hear every, every sound in the jungle. You hear it because you don't, none of the soldiers will move. They, they keep very quiet for obvious reasons. Um, but he just liked to kind of get lost in the stars and have hope. And I think his hope, his, his, he's an eternal optimist, um, is really what got him through four tours in Vietnam. Um, and he's still living. He's about to celebrate his 80th birthday <laughs> this month or next month. Yeah, I, 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 I almost want to reach out to him just to get to know him because it's such an amazing story. So where I am is, you know, your mom has gotten the, the, postma uh, the, the postmaster involved. She's gotten the school involved. Uh, she's doing this. She's typing away on a manual typewriter, by the way, right. which is pretty amazing. And one of the things she's really impressed with is she gets the impression that a lot of times Bob's in a foxhole in the mud and dirt writing to her. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, I really got the sense where she's not really a big approver of the war, but she definitely respects what those men did during that time. And, and, and it comes through. And I'm just curious, did that have any effect on you growing up later after the war got over? 
Well, um, I know, I mean, our family, we, we grew up certainly respecting military, certainly respecting first responders. Um, that was just a given. I, there was no other way of life. That's what you, you did. Um, and I think that was fairly common back then. I think we're losing a little bit of that and hopefully we'll, we'll have that pendulum go back um, to, to become a little bit more patriotic, a lot more patriotic, I'd be okay with. Um, but I, I think, um, I don't know that the, that changed us or, or we didn't really learn about the Vietnam War. In fact, I, I think very much even with the veterans that came back, the soldiers that came back, you just didn't talk about the Vietnam War. It was kind right. of something everybody just put in the back and wanted to forget about. And the, the problem is you, you can't, if you lived it, you can't forget about it. And it was unfair of us, meaning the country, to expect these soldiers to come back when there was no knowledge of PTSD and things like that, but they came back and then they were basically shamed into repressing all their feelings, all their, their sights, their, their experiences, and just deal with it. I mean, just shake it off and deal with it. And that's just, that's just not possible. And these, these veterans right now, I love and respect all veterans and active military always have, but as a result of this book, and me coming to know and love so many Vietnam veterans, they have my heartstrings. Um, they are some of the bravest men ever walked this planet. And they had a battle over there that for one, many of them were conscripts. They were forced over there. It wasn't like a calling. So you take someone who's not even meant for war and you force them over there. You know what? Some of them are going to screw up because they weren't meant to be there in the first place. They didn't have that mindset to be there uh, or that grit to be there. But um, you know, they came, they went over to that war, which was unlike any other war we had been in at that point. And it was barbaric. I mean, think of it, Vietnam, they had been under foreign domination for over a hundred years and they had tunnels, a tunnel system that was a hundred years old. So they were being attacked and ambushed all over the place with all these tunnels and then tunnel fighting. That, that was a whole new, that was a whole new thing. So, uh, and then you, you, you couple that with the monsoons. Uh, unfortunately, we, we had soldiers that drowned in those tunnels. They were went in there and the monsoons came, they couldn't get out. Yep. Um, so it's just, it, it's, it's a fascinating war, not in a glamorous way at all, but a fascinating war in all the, the intricacies of it. And, um, and so anyway, they had that war to deal with and then they came home to another battle. And so that's why I've labeled them the bravest generation. And I hope it, I hope it's, it's been sticking. So like Tom Brokaw uh, labeled the World War II, the greatest generation. Well, I'm hoping the bravest generation sticks for our, our Vietnam veterans um, because I truly think they are. They, they had that whole war and then they came back to another whole war and they've had their whole life has been a battle because they're constantly having to battle the thoughts in their heads and whatnot. So I, I'm, I'm now certainly, I'm changed now as a result of this book. I don't know if it happened. I don't think it happened as a child that I was changed because of the war, but I'm changed now because of how much I've learned about this and how I've you know, come to know so many Vietnam veterans. Well, one of the things when you talk to a Vietnam veteran, you get the sense that, hey, the, the, the World War II veterans you know, get a lot of praise. The Korean War veterans a lot of times are just simply forgotten about. Vietnam veterans, you know, are kind of like, just stay over there. That was bad history. We don't want to talk about it. And then Gulf War to now, those veterans are esteemed. And, and they still feel all these years later that they're still, you know, for lack of a better term, forgotten. Mm -hmm. So I feel that, that this story 
needs to be told now more than ever because a, a lot of these Vietnam veterans have either passed on or to the point where they they won't talk about their story. They won't, um, you know, share because they feel like no one cares anyway. No, that's a good point. Um, and you're right. We are losing them by the day. Um, and they've had to live with this their whole life. And, and it is important that we share it because they need to be healed. We, they deserve the, the, the peace and the respect that they've always deserved. Um, so even if it's late in the game and, and there's nothing we can do about that, it is what it is. We can't go back in time. We can't erase time. We can't erase history. And we can't rewrite history. It happened. And I think it needs to be told one, to bring peace to these men and women. And there were women who served over there too, uh, and the nurses in the Red Cross, um, bring peace to them before, before their last day and uh, also to their families. And it could be their, their children or their grandchildren. So they, they can respect and honor their father or mother um, for what they had done. And also perhaps even understand, see that's the, the beauty of this story is the redemptive quality. When, when his daughter gets these letters, I end up mailing them two spiral binders filled uh, with copies of letters from both my mom and him. And long story short, when she gets them, she learns things about her father, her grandmother, her mother that she never knew. And she, and it was so redeeming to her um, that she, for one, it humanized her dad as a soldier and it made her much more understanding as to why the PTSD happened. Why, you know, unfortunately she had to suffer from the PTSD, but now she understands that, you know, he was a victim of that war. He did not go in there the same way he came out. And I, pretty much can say not a single soldier went in the same way they came out. Um, so it gave her uh, just enormous understanding for her father. And then she realized things, really good things, important things about her grandmother um, that she would not have, she never knew. She only knew her grandmother one certain way, but as a result of these letters and she got to see real time, like in her father's head as a 24 year old writing about her mother and some, his mother, and some beautiful stories. She got a totally different look on her grandmother and then of course her mother as well. Um, so there are definitely um, opportunities for us to try to make amends, to try to try to bring them in somehow, comfort them. Um, you know, you, you just say welcome home to them or thank you soldier. And I will tell you more times than not, these brave men <laughs> who have seen more than we ever wanna see, um, they tear up. That's, that's how much they've had to hold in. That's how much a welcome home means to them. And they don't even, it's not the fanfare of having a parade. It's just that respect. Um, I had this one soldier that we interviewed for this documentary we're working on. And he's, he was giving kudos to the uh, protesters saying, you know what? I was actually happy that the protesters were doing their thing because it got us home earlier. And he said, the, the thing that shocked him was when he came home, and he thought he was gonna be embraced by these protesters. He's like, those same protesters were the ones calling us awful names and spitting on us. And he's like, I was shocked. It was like a punch in the gut because here you are protesting the war, it's an awful war, but we're the ones who are victims of that war. Like we either went to jail or you served or, or you fled to Canada, you know? And those, that's, those two aren't really great options. So you, you went to war. And so for him to come back, and you think at least, okay, we just endured this awful war that you all agreed is awful and you're taking us home. 
well, at least embrace us when we come home. But, and, and that's what I think the stain on our country is that. It's not the war. It's because both sides, both parties were involved in that war. And you can only hope that they did what they thought was best. And you, you don't like to think there was any political agendas going on, but of course there were. There were. Um, but what we did to those soldiers when they came home, that's what I view as the stain on this country's history. And I, I want this to get out so that perhaps we learn to never do that again and always respect our veterans um, in, in our active military. And, and heck, our, 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 our law enforcement. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, like I said, I'm about, I'm about halfway through this book. And, and there's a real sense of, you know what, I need to read this book now because there's so much division and strife in this comp- country. People are not coming together like they did after 9-11. And this book goes back to a very real and raw time in our country and brings that all into focus that there can be healing if you want that healing. So I think it's very powerful. And plus, like I said before, the thing is, is these brave men and women are not forgotten. Right. And and I love the fact that you talk about the healing. Um, I have received letters. I have my email in the book and I've received so many letters from readers talking about how it has healed them and the it's resonating with either people who are dealing with their parents with dementia. It's I've had some oh, tear jerking letters from Vietnam veterans. Um, I've had some notes from veterans that are not Vietnam veterans, but they now look at the Vietnam veterans differently. Um, certainly a whole bunch of civilians have have reached out to me. Um, you know, talking about how important this letter, this book was and how much it gave them insight. Um, but I, this is even striking a chord. Again, my initial motivation was to put this out on behalf of our Vietnam veterans to heal them. But with all the civil unrest, that was an added motivation. And now I've actually been brought in. I'm, uh, two companies, two major companies right now have already reached out and I'm, they're bringing me in to do a, a training using the book as a resource um, to train the diversity and equality department. Um, so we're, or I should say coming in as a program for that department to train the employees. And it's really what we, we've done is just distill this down to, um, you know, our subconscious bias, our conscious bias, how we react to it. And so kind of like the military, we break it down and then we can build it back up, you know, so that we can really make a change. None of this band-aid, none of this, oh, it looks like we're doing the right thing because our board is diverse and what have you, like really doing the right thing. And as I say, we, we are really moving the needle toward a better world um, because there, there is so much to learn from this. You talk about the dialogue. Bob and my mom didn't agree on everything. They talked about uh, interracial relationships and marriages often. Um, Bob was a big proponent of it. And he's a pioneer and he says, we need to get there where you can marry whoever you want because you love them, doesn't matter the color of their skin. And my mom very frankly said, and clearly she didn't have a precious bone in her body, but clearly said, I I don't think our country is ready for that. And I fear for that first generation of children born out of an interracial marriage where they're not gonna be accepted by either race. And she's like, and she would say, look, I'm just not a pioneer like you, Bob. I'm not strong enough to do that. And I just fear for those children but then in the end of seven years of correspondence, because he had four tours over in, in Vietnam, so they wrote consistently for seven years. And then after, when he came home, it was more just Christmas cards and all that. But 
by the end, she was like, you know what, Bob, you're right. I mean, and, and also in that seven years, we, we came a long way in the country. Um, but she said, you know what, you, you're right. We, if, we, if that's the end game that we all agree on, then it's got to start somewhere. But, but they had a respectful dialogue and he didn't just shut her off because he didn't, she didn't agree with him. They respected each other, that they came from two totally different backgrounds and pretty much like everybody, we have our own set of, of experiences and we have no right to shut someone down or judge them for their decision-making because we haven't walked a day in their shoes. So I, that is one thing I do love about their relationship is they didn't agree on everything, but they were always respectful of each other. And I think we as a country need to get to back, back to that because right now I feel like we are so quick to just cut people out of our lives if they don't agree with you know, one thing. We could agree with 99% of this, the, the uh, concepts and if we don't agree with one, then we're cutting that person out of our life. And, and I think that's a, a dangerous slope to be on. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is 77 Letters by Susan Hunter. And it's been so great to hear about this. It's been so great to read it. How can people support what you're doing? Because it's not just about writing a book and getting book sales. There's a real you know, initiative to make this a, a force, if you will. Right. Well, um, a couple of things. So it is, a, it is a little plug for the book, but it's really not. Um, I, I do think reading the book, what I'm finding is when you change hearts, that's when you change behaviors. And when you get into a character, just like when you read any book, you get into a character, you actually you're pulling for him at times and you're aching for him at other times and you're proud of her at times. And so I think you really, what I'm seeing is that people's hearts are changing and therefore behaviors are changing. Um, outside of this, I think, learn our history, learn our history. Um, I am now, because of this book, I've become very involved with the Center of American Wartime Letters or War Letters. And you could go to warletters.us to uh, see more letters from wartime and they're fascinating. And you learn about history in a very entertaining way. Um, and you learn about not only just history of the war, but you're learning about the culture and how they just behaved, you know, in, in other times and, um, and what the challenges were. And so I would strongly encourage people if they want to learn history in an entertaining ways to, to go to different sources where you can read letters um, from, from the front lines and um, just embrace history. I was not a history buff in school. I didn't understand the purpose for history. Um, but now that I'm a little bit wiser, uh, I, um, now I can't get enough of it. I want to, uh, and, and I, I'll read anything on history because I want to know where we come from. Like, who were we? How did we get to where we are today? And let's take the good and get rid of the bad and move forward. Like, you always want to stand on the shoulders of the generation before you. So why would we ever want to erase history? I want to learn from that history. So I'm standing on shoulders so we can further uh, humankind and, and further, you know, all, all the goodness that we're trying to accomplish in this country. And I, and I think we are still a, a fantastic country. Um, we're just going through a little, little hiccup. So that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> um, uh, again, 77 letters between two people from, you know, couldn't be more different backgrounds, but finding common ground and supporting each other and learning about each other. And it's kind of interesting to see how uh, this little drop in the pond has rippled out to affect so many people's lives. And I get the sense from reading your book is there's a real personal challenge to this. Because again, like I said at the beginning, you're trying to 
hang on, remember your mother as, as she was, but also understand what she is in the present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to touch on that before we shut this down, because I think a lot of people get frustrated. They feel like they're alone in that part of their lives. And I think you really, you know, bring it to the fore that, you know, people go through this and there can be help if, if you look out for it. Yeah, um, I, I did have a gentleman just this week reach out to me um, through my email and he had to deal with dementia with his dad. And he, he really was touched by the fact that I was working with my mom so much and you know, playing Scrabble to keep her mind going, having the music going. And of course, then diving into these letters, hoping to engage her long-term memory. And he, he was you know, a little bit regretful in his letter that he didn't get those pearls of wisdom from his father because he almost just kind of wrote it off. You know, okay, well, this is a degenerative disease. I lost my dad, he's gone. And now it's just a physical death that's, that's ahead of him. But he always, he kind of felt like he was already gone. So I would, you know, say, if you're going through this, even the early stages, the better, like as soon as possible, even before they get any diagnosis, uh, learn from our elders and, and, and reach out. And then, and also uh, a couple of things I learned with the dementia is uh, they're still that same person. And like, so I, I was actually thinking when I was having, caring for my mom, I was keeping a journal and I thought, oh, I'm going to write a book called Still Me and kind of a... Um, a play on the words. It's like, it's still me. I'm still me inside, even though I, my mind is, you know, not only forgetful, but sometimes and it happened in my mom's case, they get a little crazy. Um, and they ha hear demonic voices in their head. And, and so it's even hard. It was, my mom was the sweetest thing ever. And to hear her even say certain things that were voices going in her head was hard for me to stomach. Um, and so if you're a caregiver, give yourself some breaks. If you have to hire someone to come in, do it. Give yourself some breaks. You will go crazy. I did. I, I felt like I had to be with my mother all the time and I did go crazy. I was breaking down every day. It was hard, hard to watch them go through this and, and just the stuff that goes on. It's hard. So get some help. Um, but music is a great tool to use. Uh, cut out sugar. Sugar is awful um, for, for dementia. It's a link. It's an actual link to the dementia. Um, so there are definitely things. There's, there are some medicines out there that can slow it down, not reverse it, but slow it down. But try to keep routine, things like that. Um, get some help. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. Get some help because it is, it is a downhill battle. But try to tap into their memory as much as you can in the beginning because it also makes them feel good to remember because they know they're frustrated. And I, I actually listened to a voicemail my mom left me the uh, years ago. Um, I just listened to it the other day where she's like, it was in the beginning stages and she's talking on the voicemail about, you know, Susan, I just, I'm forgetful these days and it's just so frustrating. And I'm sure it's frustrating for all of you. And so my heart just breaks for anybody going through it. It's a tough, tough disease, tougher on the people around them, but um, yeah, get some help is key. Well, I, I kind of want to close down by saying that as I'm reading this, um, again, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I think I needed to read this book at this time, not only to understand the past, but also to understand how right now 
those lessons from the past can be applied and understand that, you know, it might be me like your mom one day. It, it might be me providing that care to my parents one day. And I got a whole lot out of it. I'm, I'm only halfway done, but I've gotten so much out of it that, you know, I really think it wasn't an accident that we're talking right now. I want to thank you for your, your candor and willingness to share some of these stories with me. I appreciate that. Of course. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, anytime. I'm, an, I'm here to share, here to spread good vibes. And yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this story. And I agree. This was divinely orchestrated and executed without a doubt. Well, on that note, I think I, you know, I'm going to say I would like to have you back on when I've done when I'm done reading the book. I've had a chance to kind of, you know, unpack it some more. I usually read it two or three times and then it starts to click. But, um, you know, I think the story is valuable. And, you know, as we're coming up to Memorial Day next month and a lot of Vietnam veterans, this is uh, this is not a party day for them. This is this is a day when they remember those memories in a way that's very real to them. And they aren't fun. They're not hanging out at the barbecue, having a good time. So I think this is going to get me in the right kind of mental attitude to approach some of the things I have going on for Memorial Day weekend this year and, and evermore. I think that's a, a beautiful way to, to lead into Memorial Day. And so therefore, when you are celebrating, and of course, you're going to celebrate um, to some degree, you know what you're celebrating for. There's been a lot of sacrifice made for this country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would be happy to come back. In fact, the next one could be about some of the what I call God wings that have me absolutely convinced that this was divinely orchestrated and executed. Um, that includes some God wings with General Casey, uh, General Hal Moore, one of the most revered generals of all time. Um, it, it's just been jaw dropping the things that have happened in the course of writing this book um, that people had just get chills when I tell them they just get chills. So. Um, there's that as well as, you know, if there are any Vietnam veterans out there that um, have stories to share or if they just want to get things off their chest, um, they can connect with me via SusanHunterAuthor at gmail.com. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to be there for them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, my name is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio. I have Susan Hunter, author, uh, documentarist. And she has published the book, 77 Letters About the Vietnam War and Relationship Between an Army Soldier and Her Mother and What Her Mother Did with Operation Morale Booster. Susan, it's been great having you on. I've enjoyed this again. We're going to have her back, folks. Make no mistake. <laughs> um, Wonderful. Thank you very much. Looking forward to talking with you again. And when I'm done reading the book, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk. So again, as we say in Oscar Mike Radio, we are mission in flight. Thank you. Thank you.